Good afternoon, black family. Sadat here. Got full spectrum, also known as the prepper. See what he has to say. It's about 13 minutes. Emergency management teams across the, U the southern United States of America are warning that a potentially catastrophic storm may strike the uh, western side of Florida in the next couple of days. That just happens to be where our studio is located, and we spent the better part of the day out there looking at exactly what was going, uh, going on and happening. Now, you already saw the shelves being emptied, and gas stations have lines that are in some cases a half mile or a mile long. People generally are not prepared for this or any disaster. That's why you as an individual in the preparedness community must begin to think now what you need, get those items before a disaster happens, and then you'll be better ready for what comes next. We did talk to a lot of people who were having an economic, uh, economically hard time paying for the things that they thought they might need if the power gets shut off. Propane. A little bit of extra gasoline, some food that does not go bad in the next couple of days or if their freezer goes out. They weren't able to do it, and the ones that were were putting it on a credit card. Now we see how bad the economy is in the USA. Looking at what's happened in car payments, we're seeing what is being called by economists a menacing sign for the car market. Severe delinquencies for auto loans are taking place right now based on seasonalized rates. They are at their highest since the year 2006. This is a trend that some say is an ominous sign for what comes next. With the average price of a new General Motors vehicle being all the way up at $52,000 in new car loans with an interest rate of almost 10%, this is leaving consumers struggling to keep up with their payments. This squeeze faced by borrowers is soon going to ratchet even tighter with a payment holiday for student loans expiring at the end of this month. According to the credit reporting agency known as TransUnion, more than one-third, 33% of all consumers with student loans took on new auto loans during this same time period. This trend may also mean a slowdown in auto sales, particularly among pricey vehicles. S&P has downgraded multiple U.S. banks, citing tough operating conditions. Those bank banks include KeyCorp, Valley National, UMB, and Associated Bank. The Housing Affordability Index, for the first time, has fallen to its lowest on record. You know, a lot of people don't grasp just how bad things are here in our society. That people, for the first time in their lives, are having a hard time making their shelter payment, fuel payment, and their food payment. What this means, historically, if you go back and look at every time of civil war, every time of social unrest, historically, when people can't pay for their shelter, their food, and their fuel, they riot. This is because those are the key ingredients that are needed for a recipe of civil living for common society to life. So what you have to do is be prepared for that next stage when those actions do turn into the reaction and when those riots take place. Did you know that during the Great Depression that our great-grandparents felt in the 1930s, dance marathons were an unexpected phenomenon? They were endurance contests, and they weren't about dancing necessarily. They were a desperate attempt by the people to secure food and shelter during a time of what was otherwise nationwide economic hardship. Dance marathons were known as walkathons or dance derbies. They were a blend of entertainment and personal survival. They took place in large ballrooms or even auditoriums. 
couples or individuals danced for hours, for days, or even for weeks. The last person standing would win a cash prize. This cash prize often included food, shelter, and other necessities. Participants would come from everywhere. They would be drawn to the promise of food while they were there, a place to sleep, a chance to escape the destitution of the era. Many were unemployed and homeless, and the marathon offered a fleeting, uh, uh, a fleeting change, something of hope from their harsh reality. The rules were very strict, and we saw that people had to face exhaustion and face other events just to be able to get a chance at food. Now, if you look at what we're seeing today in our world, where we have a hardened economy, and people are finding it harder than ever to make ends meet, you can see why this happened to our great-grandparents. The economy, according to those in the know, is very fragile, with inflation still hurting the poorest of Americans. Steve Moore is just one economist who is warning that this is just the beginning of what we're going to see, and it has finally trickled down to where the food, the money, everything on the street is even harder for individuals than it was before. Peter Schiff says that what we are in will likely become the worst secular bond bear market in U.S. history. The bear market in the 1970s ended with 10-year Treasury yields above 13%, 30-year yields above 15%, with today's 16 yields at 4.35%. Almost 5% yields have a long way to rise. The average 30-year mortgage rate hit almost 8%. This is the highest it has been in 23 years. Charles Schwab has said that they're going to start laying off employees soon. They're going to start closing down their offices. This is an attempt to cut costs. They hope to save $500 million USD to the staff layoffs. Layoffs are expected to cost even more than that in the future. Now, moving over to what's happening in China, top diplomats warned that a resumption of common goals between Iran and Saudi Arabia, brokered by China, is creating a wave of reconciliation in the Middle East. There are, back to the USA, more than 70 million credit card accounts that have been opened up, opened up 70 million more than the year 2019. This is according to the New York Fed. There are only 150 million working adults in the USA. So if half of those people open up another credit card, what do you think is going to happen when they don't have the money to pay their bills? China has pushed for the BRICS block market of emerging markets to become a full-scale rival of the G7. This happened as leaders from across the world gathered to debate the forum's largest expansion in more than a decade. South Africa and the president of that country invited more than 60 heads of state and government officials to a summit. This happened, and people said that overwhelmingly they were looking forward to a new world order. In the run-up to the summit, New Delhi and India clashed with China over an expansion. Tensions are mounting over whether the BRICS should be a non-aligned club for economic interests and developing countries, or should it be a political force that openly challenges America. China took their stance and said that now is the time to change the world order. Now, a lot of people don't understand the true significance of that. Their expansion of the BRICS accounts for an entire change of our world. This is going to be a stronger one, a stronger anti-America, and a weakened America, a weakened Western world. They say things are going extremely wrong for the USD, and I think that you and I can see that happening 
very clearly now as we look at all of these countries who have not only jumped ship from the USA, but are also now ready to follow a commodity backed, a currency backed by gold or by silver. It's important, according to one quote, that criteria begin to, to be defined for an entrance of new members. That's one top diplomat. He said that all 23 countries will join. Maybe they'll even join at the same time, and they need to know why the decision was taken so that if future expansions do happen, the candidates know the priority issues. Now, this is just showing you how bad things are going to get. Now, I'm going to go back to what's happening in Florida. Empty shelves, no propane to purchase, gasoline running out of the gas stations. You see gas trucks moving from station to station to station to try to refill. Some of the bridges are already being ready to be shut down and people are being forced into a mandatory evacuation. Now this causes in the mind of the non-prepared, the mind of the unprepared, they have to make a decision. Do they hope and pray and dream that nothing will happen to them? Or do they understand the hardcore reality that if something does happen to them, no one is going to come to their aid? Continuity of government of government means to continue government and infrastructure. It means nothing about getting your lights on or keeping your food cooking until you get to that point where you're gonna ride if things don't change. So people just now are waking up today and better have already had a gas generator. That's right, even in this huge green initiative when they want, don't want you to have anything that expels any sort of fossil fuel uh, you know, off-gassing, now you need to go get a generator. Now you need to have gasoline. Now you need to have propane. Now you need to have all of these things they tell you they're trying to get rid of. Just like when they take away your ability to defend yourself with a kinetic projectile tool, that's when you're going to find out you really needed it the most. And so we see people scrambling. I talked to one neighbor and that neighbor said, do you think we need to evacuate? I said, I'm not going to unless it looks like a danger to my family. And if it does, that's when I'm going to leave. So being ready to leave, being prepared to leave, put yourself in a position of advantage. Now, I'm sure many of you watching are not in the US state of Florida, but what happens if you have wildfires? What happens if you have a chemical spill? What happens if you have a tornado, a snowstorm, a nuclear power plant melts down? Being ready to leave, being ready to evacuate means that you can put your, your family in a position of preparedness immediately. You already have your tent in case you have to sleep outside. You have your sleeping bags in case the conditions of being outside are not great. You have your communications tools. You have a way to create a fire. You have food that can go in a backpack that doesn't weigh a lot. You have a way to filter water. Now think about just using those tools. If you have a Sawyer Mini water filter, those cost around $20. With that, you are able to filter gallons and gallons, 100,000 gallons of water to be exact, and you're able to put that in something like two liter bottles or a five gallon bucket. With that bucket, you're going to rehydrate your dehydrated food, or you're going to use it to boil the food that you get, make your rice, make your oatmeal, make whatever you need to. To that, you're going to add some of your other staple ingredients, so spices becomes something that is paramount to your survival kit. So you, now you can get water, and now you have food. And then you need a lighter, maybe matches, a Zippo, fuel, 
you need a ferrocium rod, all different ways to make fire. One of the most important parts of your fire kit needs to be something like wax balls, something that will be waterproof. But once you catch the flame, and I'm going to show another video here soon of us making these on the channel. Once it catches a flame, it stays lit for three to five minutes. This gives you time to dry out otherwise damp or wet tinder. Allow you to get those kindling, which kindling is really pencil size. And actually, this is a jumbo pencil for my kid, but pencil size or smaller twigs. So you dry out the kindling, you dry out the tinder, and now you have a fuel source that's going to catch the larger bits of wood on, on fire and keep your fire going. If you don't have these things, plus your first aid kit and your communication and self-defense, you're scared. So many people are scared right now. They don't know why, but they know that they should have been better prepared. So if you see somebody who's scared during the disaster, try to help them. They don't know why they're scared. They've suddenly broken out of the matrix. They've woken up to the fact that no one's here to help them but themselves. And for a lot of people, it's a scary time. Thank you guys for being here with us today and every day. Please share this video on Facebook, Twitter, and any other outlets. Send it to friends and family, especially those who might be in the uh, potentially catastrophic uh, storm area. Let people know that they need to get ready. Take this as an opportunity. We're not even into September yet, which is preparedness month, but that's a great time to reach out to people maybe outside of the community and say, hey, let's go to the store, let's go camping, let's go hunting. And we're doing it for preparedness month. They have no problem engaging in other politically correct months. So let's get them to engage in this one, which is being responsible for themselves. From my family to yours, please stay safe, remain vigilant, and keep watch. Already subscribed. Check and make sure that YouTube hasn't unsubscribed. And of course, be sure to give the video a like, as well as share it on your social media. The white supremacists hate that. Well, thank you for doing this. I want to just say to the councilwoman, 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 I got you. Don't worry about it. We've already been looking uh, to identify funds to be able to help one. Make sure there's adequate security for Edwin Waters College. We are not going to allow these institutions to be targeted by people. We okay, listen, y'all. Let me let me tell you, we finna put parties aside. Because it ain't it ain't about parties today. A bullet don't know a party. So don't get me started. Okay, Jacoby is nice, but Ann is not. Now, if the if the if the governor wanted to come here and he bringing gifts to my community, y'all know I'm taking the gifts because we've been through enough already, and I don't want to go through no more. Now, y'all, y'all just be quiet just a minute and let the let the governor say what he gonna say, and we gonna get this party started. You hear me? Okay, let's do it. For 40 years now, Dr. Claude Anderson has been talking about inappropriate behavior in the black community. Now, when he talks about that, what he refers to is black people reacting to racism in a way that either fails to fight it, or worse, in a way that encourages it. One of, if not the worst way to respond to anti-black racism is to show weakness in the face of anti-black violence, to show weakness in the face of racists. Ron DeSantis is a card-carrying anti-black racist. And he has been for a very long time. 
The race mass murder in Jacksonville a few days ago was the direct result of the constant anti-black rhetoric and posturing that he's been doing since he became governor. In fact, he was very popular with neo-Nazis before he became governor. He has made it the hallmark of his time as a politician to wage a nonstop war on black people, declaring that black history, black voters, and black citizens are the enemy that he's at war with. With sick glee, he signed laws legalizing harming black people merely for demonstrating. He has also attacked the black community in Florida through the targeted deprivation of state funds, which, by the way, are the black community's own tax dollars that they are being denied. See, in Florida, the governor has the ability to do a line-item veto. That means that when the state legislature presents him with the annual budget, he can arbitrarily cross off things that he doesn't like. Those things that he chooses to cross off just won't get funded which is exactly what he's done for everything relating to black people in Florida. And that brings us to Jacoby Pittman, AKA Mammy Pittman. She was licking DeSantis's boots to a mirror shine. This ridiculous looking ghoul in the hour of grief for this community, she came out there berating black people and telling them that a bullet has no political party. Actually, it does. The Republicans have literally been the party of the gun lobby. In response to the Parkland School Massacre, DeSantis and his pals passed a raft of laws to make it easier for white supremacists to get their hands on guns and to not be stopped for any reason. The Republican Party are literally the political party of firearms. It's no coincidence that the vast majority of mass shooters are right-wingers, or at the very least, right-wing adjacent. So bullets do have a political party, the Republican Party. And in Florida, white supremacists have a political leader. Ron DeSantis, this piece of walking filth had the nerve to smile and preen and strut and say that I'm going to accept these gifts if he's bringing them. I want them because we suffered too much. She, of course, doesn't mention that the entire reason that black people have suffered in her district is because of Ron DeSantis. This is a sellout bootleg auditioning heavy for a job from white power. She wants to be in the good graces of the same white money forces that are backing DeSantis. She's hoping there's a couple of pennies, or rather crumbs, for her. That's what you saw her do. Bootlicks will do anything to get a pat on their empty little heads. But for me, the topper was when Mammy Pittman said at the very end of her bootlicking speech that, We're going to get this party started. This was a prayer vigil, not a damn block party. For her to even say those words showed how little respect she had for the murder victims. What, a bunch of dead bodies over there? And some white supremacists who did it? Well, let's go ahead and break out the music and let's show ourselves some dance moves. That's all the black folks in Florida are about, to hear her tell it. She presented the black community in Florida to the world as nothing more than targets to be killed. And that afterwards, black people in Florida apparently will allow the very racist puke who orchestrated the violence against them to come among them and they will respectfully listen to him as if he had done nothing wrong. Let him spout out his talking points and then walk away as if nothing had happened, as if he hadn't done anything. No matter how racist you are against the black community, apparently they will just bite their tongues and sit on their hands while the very racist who cheerlead and encourage and legislate violence against the black community walk right up in their faces and say, uh, you know, I didn't have anything to do with this. First of all, DeSantis is the entire reason the black community in Florida has been so deprived of resources. He's a racist who has been using his position as governor to specifically target and deny the black community its own tax dollars. The economic deprivation of black Florida has been government policy directly from Ron DeSantis' office. Second, 
if you think this racist bastard is actually going to do anything for the black community anywhere, then you're a fool. DeSantis knew that everyone was going to blame him for this mass murder because he's been openly demonizing the black community for years, and he's been using his platform as governor to attack black Floridians every second of every day he's been in office. So he figured he had to come down and try to manufacture a PR moment for himself. He knew everybody was going to be looking at him and saying, yeah, DeSantis, you were the reason this happened. So he would say a few completely insincere words and then bounce, which is exactly what he did. Now, there's something else about this Jacoby Pittman woman. She is not the leader of the black community. She's just some Democrat shill in the city council office. None of these bootlicks are the black community's leaders. Black people are supposed to be the leaders, at least we're supposed to be, but it's way past time we started acting like it. We are the ones who are supposed to be in charge. And when we speak, people like Jacoby Pittman are supposed to be the ones who fall silent. How dare she call herself telling the people in their hour of grief to be quiet? This is the tail wagging the dog. Those people are supposed to be her constituents. Constituents meaning she takes orders from them, not the other way around. If they're booing DeSantis, she's supposed to be out there booing him too, or at the very least backing them up, because they're the ones who put her in office. They're the ones who she's supposed to be taking orders from. Shouldn't she be worried that if she disrespects or otherwise disagrees with her constituents, that the crowd is going to turn on her? But she wasn't. Because when a group's internal politics have become deranged and confused, it will be hard for them to focus on getting rid of problem candidates and more difficult for them to focus on it long term. These bootleg politicians count on that. The people who just stood there letting her berate them and stood there letting her praise DeSantis, that was a disgrace. And the ones who sat there silently, which was most of them, they should be ashamed. And I said it. Our enemies of the white media will take that silence from that group as proof that they were just acting rowdy because DeSantis is a Republican. Why, look how quickly they fell silent when a Democrat nanny told them to. That's the spin the white media is going to put on it. And to all intents and purposes, they might as well be right. Now, I don't mean to attack the community down there. They've been through enough. I'm not blaming them for the massacre. It's DeSantis' fault. They did the right thing by booing that bastard. Truth be told, that was the bare minimum they could do. But, and it needs to be said, if at this late date in the 21st century, if black people cannot be fearless in the face of a race massacre, if they cannot stand up to the white supremacists and their bootlegs to their faces, then when are black people going to do it? A large part of why slavery, Jim Crow, and the race massacres happen, and why we never get justice is because we allow bootlegs like Jacoby Pittman to be among us, to keep undermining us. When the victims of anti-black violence are faced with the racist who called for, promoted, and encouraged that violence, and they show him any kind of respect, that is a people who will never be respected and who will never be allowed to simply live their lives. People will see that, and their only takeaway from it will be, well, it can't be that serious. Why, look at how these black folks reacted. They just fell quiet so quickly, so obviously there was nothing to it. Jacoby Pittman consciously and deliberately helped to give the white media material with which to push an anti-black counter-narrative. But my problem is also that you had Negroes just standing there, standing around while this was happening. And yes, I'm afraid that falls on them. Too many of us are concerned only with not being criticized for making black folks look bad. But the problem is, let the white media and their bootlegs tell it everything makes black people look bad. And now it's gotten to the point that we will let people berate us for booing an accomplice in black murder and we'll fall silent like a scolded child. 
Worse than that, too many of us will go right along with things that we know to be a pack of lies. Black people simply cannot afford to be silent when these bootlicks are being apologists for the murder of black people. And if you think that it was some kind of coincidence that she was there, if you think that DeSantis hadn't already planned out in advance that she would be his crash dummy if the crowd was hostile, then you don't know how politics actually works. I think it was already prearranged that Manny Pittman would be DeSantis's human shield if the crowd was hostile. By the way, Democrats and Republicans do this all the time. That's why they always seem to have some bootlick close to them whenever they're dealing with the black community, especially if something controversial has gone down. They always do that. I think that the reason she was standing right there beside the mic is exactly because they had arranged that she was going to do that in case things went sour. Ron DeSantis knows full well that black Florida hates him because he hates black people. So of course he would have arranged beforehand to have this bottle blonde bootlick run interference for him if the crowd didn't stop booing him. This is something that both Democrats and Republicans do. They have black shills who are on their payroll, who are always right on hand to calm black folks down. Doesn't matter if it's Ron DeSantis or Joe Biden. They always make sure to have some Simone Manny Sanders or Kamala Harris or whomever on hand, some pet Negro who they know is going to be barking at the black community. My problem, though, is that the black attendees to that vigil did what this traitor told them to do. They should have become louder and rowdier when she started talking back to them. That they were cowed so easily made the tragedy worse because the dead have been silenced and the living refused to say a word on their behalf. One of my commenters on Twitter said that the black community is dead, that it died during slavery. I know it's a bitter pill to swallow, but he's right. Our willingness to fight, our refusal to tolerate disrespect was largely beaten out of us. When something wrong slaps you in the face, you're supposed to fight it. We are all supposed to be able to recognize evil when we see it, and we're supposed to be driven to fight it and to crush it, but we're not. Instead, we try to rationalize it. We are so quick to hide behind Bible verses, too, but only the ones that justify us not fighting. We ignore the ones that tell us to fight. We say some empty rhetoric about turning the other cheek, when in reality we're cowards, just trying to find a way to make our cowardice and apathy sound like a virtue, when it's not. We want our refusal to stand up for our faith and for ourselves to sound pious, when the truth is, it's just plain old cowards, plain old spiritual laziness. We're scared to stand up for anything, and we can't be bothered to fight, especially for ourselves. The sad truth is that too many of us are waiting for white power to give us permission to speak up for ourselves, or to give us permission to talk back to these anti-black racists. And we're scared if we even think that they're not going to give us that permission. We're terrified of even the slightest criticism from them. The second that we receive any pushback from the white media or their bootlicks, we back down. We're terrified at the prospect of criticism from white power, especially their media. We're terrified some bootlick or some empty-headed Negro or some old baby boomer or some hood rat or dusty dude's going to say, Mains, days is making us look horrible. Oh, wise black folks always got to be so unruly in publics. That's what we're scared of. We rein ourselves in when we're supposed to be cutting loose. The enemy knows that, and they play on that weakness. And they have a number of operatives among us who encourage this subservient behavior. 
Decades of white power sending a torrent of bootlicks and traitors to pose as our leaders has confused and deranged our internal politics to the point that we allow people to berate us publicly because we're angry at some racist governor who encourages anti-black massacres. We allow ourselves to be berated for our righteous indignation the fact that we're being murdered with impunity and these are not just mass murders, they are executions carried out by the state. We are drowned in liars and self-interested con men sent by white power, and they tell us this is who we're supposed to vote for. Well, these are not our leaders. We didn't choose them. What Jacoby Pittman did is what all the bootlicks, tethers, and white adjacents have done for over a century. If they can't be classified as white, then at the very least, they'll do the most to make themselves of use to those who are. And it happens because all too often, we have allowed it. So yes, whether you want to hear it or not, the black community is dead. But that's the reason we're here. That's the reason we're doing what we're doing. The black community is dead. And it is up to us to resurrect it. Now, some of you may hate this analogy, but I'm going to say it anyway. When Jesus Christ was crucified and put to death, he too was also dead. He wasn't asleep or just in a coma. He wasn't just incapacitated. He was dead. No heartbeat, no brain waves. His spirit had been separated from his body, which is what death is. But in order for the world to change, he had to be resurrected. The black community is also dead, and it too must also be resurrected if justice is to prevail. What we saw in Florida was a hideous example of how easily some Negroes can be gotten off code, not just from Manny Pittman, also from the black people who fell silent simply because this sock puppet punk Pittman began yelling her stupid head off. She scolded them like children and they obeyed. That's not the behavior of people who are spiritually and morally alive. That is the behavior of a people who are spiritually, intellectually, and morally dead. You had black people there who knew better but didn't do anything. They just obeyed. It was an example of moral cowardice. It was an example of spiritual death. And we have to call it what it is. You got black folks who are cowed and at this point cowardly. And what are they scared of? They're trying to win some respectability politics, which is what causes people who are righteously outraged to fall silent like they did. Well, first of all, the people who elected garbage like Bunny Ruckus to office in the first place, they're the ones who should be ashamed. Yes, she looked different in her past photos, by the way. She didn't have that bleach blonde garbage on her head, but so what? She didn't just become a bootlick when DeSantis came to town on Sunday. She had been auditioning for Butter Biscuits long before that. This was a vigil for the victims of a mass murder that was inspired and encouraged by Ron DeSantis. One of the people there should have taken the mic and told the world that he was responsible for this. In Minneapolis, after the murder of George Floyd, the city's so-called progressive mayor called himself doing what DeSantis did. He decided he'd have a little town hall in the middle of town and tell the people that they shouldn't be blaming him. The people of Minneapolis, though, weren't having it. They publicly excoriated that bastard, and they literally drove him out of the town square. And then after that, he stopped all of his splaining, and he began acting, or at least talking, like he had some sense, for a while there anyway. Now, the mayor of Minneapolis was marginally responsible for the murder of George Floyd. DeSantis, on the other hand, is completely responsible for the mass murder in Jacksonville. That was one of his supporters who did it, and they did it at his political behest. 
He spent years repeating white supremacist talking points and encouraging violence against the black community by literally running against black Florida and signing laws explicitly for the purpose of legalizing violence against black people. He spent years setting up all of the rhetorical and legislative dominoes necessary to lead to white supremacists taking out acts of open violence against the black community. All he had to do at that point was sit back and wait for someone to knock him over, and it didn't take long. We cannot afford to be silent in the face of injustice. Too many Negroes, even at this late date, are still trying to win some respectability contests. These white supremacists will never respect you, and even if they did, what does that mean to you? The goal is to make the white supremacists retreat from the public square. And you don't do that by being on your best behavior for the cameras. You can't get these born-again Nazis to back down by showing them that you're not going to resist them. The white supremacists are violent thugs. The only thing they understand is getting a foot in their behinds. So that being the case, you're supposed to put on the size 10 gunboats with the steel toe and start swinging. As Paul Mooney said, they go crazy, you're supposed to go crazy too. Now, there's another aspect of this that has to be mentioned. It was no accident at all that when DeSantis was being confronted by the community, it happened to be a black woman who was the one who rushed to the lectern, took the mic, and began berating the crowd. We have seen this time and time again. All too often when a white supremacist is getting checked, it will be some bunny ruckus wannabe who's tripping over her hair weave to be the first one to protect him and to tell the community to stop fighting white supremacy. They want to be the very first ones to wag their finger at the community. You had a bunch of people out there, including black women, who were furious, indignant, and who were on code against DeSantis. The family, we have to be honest about how white power has worked to drive a gender divide and how they have effectively played on it. Over the course of the last several years, we've seen a lot of black male bootlicks, usually preachers, though sometimes politicians, who white powers tried to trot out there to get them to toe the line for massa. And practically all of them get called out and shouted down. It's to the point now where they don't even try it publicly anymore. They'll do it on TV, but that's about it. Their black male bootlicks have found that when they try to come out here and wag their finger at the community, it blows up in their faces. But when they send out a black woman to do it, People don't react that way. We have to be uncompromising about leaving the enemy no one to hide behind. Now, sisters, this is where you come in. Black women are on code and more are getting on code every day. That's why I'm saying this. The best way to shut down the Jacoby Pittmans is to have black women who are the ones doing it. There were black women there, but they were silent. You don't have to ask permission to shut down a bootleg who's undermining us. Everyone fell silent because they were waiting to see who else was going to say something, but no one did. This is what I mean when I say white power deranges and confuses our internal politics. What should be easy and automatic for us instead becomes disorganized, confused, and ultimately impossible. They send their operatives among us precisely to undermine us like this. Notice how nobody in the white media is calling Jacoby Pittman out because she was doing their bidding. The enemy has become highly reliant on using female bootlicks to sell the soap for Black women in particular have a huge part to play in challenging these bootlicks and doing so forcefully. When the enemy sees that black women aren't going to be silent and aren't having it, then the same way we've seen the black male bootlicks largely abandon speaking in public, we'll also see the Jacoby Pittmans do the same. We, all of us, are the leaders of the black community, not these hand-picked puppets. When they call themselves talking back to us, they are out of order, not us. 
when we are confronting evil and they take the side of evil, then they are not public servants anymore. They have become public enemies. When we are voicing our outrage, nobody has the right to tell us to be quiet, especially not some punk we put in office. We are the leaders, but we have to act like it. When some bootlick berates us, we're supposed to shout them down and run them out. And when that happens, we will be the ones who control the mic. And we will be the ones making sure that the truth is told, which is as it should be. Good day and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Keith Baker, Scarlett Thompson, Morris Bodden, Alan Reese, and Tajadine Ali. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you.